safe passages from Acts chapter 2, verses 42 to 47. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. This is the word of the Lord. morning. So what are you devoted to? What are you devoted to? De- devotion comes from the Latin word devolvere, which contains the verb volvere, which means to vow. So when you devote yourself to something, you're vowing yourself to something, you're consecrating yourself to something, you're setting yourself apart for something. And according to best-selling author Malcolm Gladwell, according to what this devotion leads to, extreme devotion, it leads to a mastery. It takes 10,000 hours for you to master any craft, uh, anything in life. It takes 10,000 hours, whether it's becoming a better writer, a podcaster, mastering a language, fixing a car, becoming a master chef, or really good at that game you're trying to play. Is it called Wordly or Wordle or whatever that I'm addicted to right now? Uh, confession. Confession. Uh, it takes 10,000 hours, 10,000 hours for you to get really, really good at something. And my son and I started playing. Uh, he's really into DDR. And this is a funny photo that we took at the Metro Town Arcade. And I was talking to a friend. He's like, wow, it seems like you're really into it. I'm like, I'm just, I don't know. I, there were some uh, teenagers on the side uh, that were using both handlebars and dancing, dancing across all the platforms. And I couldn't let them outdo me. So I was just holding on to the bar pretend, pretending to know uh, what I'm doing, uh, whether it's 10,000 hours on DDR, uh, whether it's 10,000 10, hours on whatever it is you want to master, it takes a lot of time. So what are you devoted to? What do you devote your time to? What do you devote your energy to? And the question that we're going to try to tackle this morning is what did the early church devote themselves to? What did the early church spend all their time and all their energy on? Uh, We're continuing a series on the book of Acts, Gospel in Motion, and we get a glimpse today into the wonders of the early church, the wonders of the early church. We get a glimpse into how wonders happen, and wonders happen in the community because they're a community that was all in. Wonders happen in a community when we go all in for God, for each other, and we go all out for the gospel. Wonders happen within a community. This devotion, we saw it, this dedication this consecration, this set-apartness of the early church, we, saw, we see it uh, described in the passage this morning. This wonder actually breaks out from their gatherings, not just in their gathering space, but it breaks out into their community. And this community life that they have ends up finding favor with all the people and the rest of the community. Wherever it is that they went, they, people saw this, they experienced this, they wanted a part of this. And we see right in the very beginning that they devoted themselves 
they devoted themselves to what? Well, devotion here in the in the first in verse forty-two is a continuous action. They didn't just devote themselves once, like once upon a time they devoted themselves to each other. No, it's a continuous action. They kept devoting themselves to one another. They kept devoting themselves, and it gives us the idea for us this morning that it was, it's the idea of persistence. It's the idea of perseverance, persevering through something, persevering through meeting together, that this is about sharing life at all levels. It wasn't just about checking the church box out and be like, I've done, I've done that for this week. It was a continuous kind of devotion which overflowed into all aspects of life. And I like this quote from John Stott in his book, Living Church. He says this, we're not only Christian people, we're also church people. We're committed to the church because God is committed to the church. And by the church, it means the people. We're committed to the people because God is committed to the people. God is committed to us, and he's shown us his dedication his, and his devotion ultimately on the cross. And as Christians, we reflect and respond that kind of devotion. And what does this devotion look like exactly? And don't get me wrong, I'm not saying everyone this morning needs to move to a monastery or a nunnery, right, and become a monk or become a nun or a pastor or a missionary and move across the world, though maybe God's calling you to be a monk, calling you to be a nun and a missionary and a pastor. I'm not even saying that spiritual life only happens here on Sundays when we gather in this place. What we're learning in the book of Acts, the gospel in motion, it goes in motion first because it first, it's first set in motion in our hearts. It's first set in motion inside of us. It's changing us. It's moving us. And they are committed from this kind of changing and moving, they become this committed kind of people. The early church was a devoted community. They were all out. We read this in verse 42. They devoted themselves to what? To the apostles' teaching, to fellowship, and to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. They devoted themselves, this continuous action of devotion. And this is true for us. We develop into what we devote ourselves to. What we spend our time on what we devote ourselves to, we develop into that vision, uh, into, into uh, 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 we become a product of the actions that we take. Now, what did they devote themselves to? Well, we see here, well, wrong slide. They devote themselves, <laughs> they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. The apostles' teaching, instruction is an important part of community as a church, as as, as a church community, how did this work, though? The apostles didn't have fancy PowerPoints and videos and projection systems and lights and smoke shows and whatever it is. Believe it or not, it was nothing fancy. Believe it or not, they didn't even have the New Testament fully written yet. They didn't even have the full word written out for them yet. They only had the word that was passed on to them from Jesus and his teaching. Believe it or not, the instructions, how did they come about? They talked. They talked to each other. They, they, they shared. They used their voice. They spoke. They like, asked questions. They're like, how does that work, though? Well, and Peter would be like, I don't really know, but I saw Jesus walk in water, and he pulled me out, and I don't know. He just does all these amazing things. And they talked, and they conversed, and they received instruction from each other, from the apostles who were eyewitnesses to the account. They sat around each other to listen and to talk, and they committed themselves to, to what? They devoted themselves to fellowship. Uh, this work can literally be... Uh, can, can be um, translated as sharing in common. So they shared everything in common. They were together. It's about communion. In a real sense, they broke bread together in communion, but also 
they, they, they had a common unity with each other. They fellowship. They spent a lot of time to each other. They also devoted themselves to the breaking of bread. And some, again, think of this literally just having to do with communion. But maybe most of it wasn't just reserved to communion, but it refers to something we call table fellowship. In other words, it's a fancy word for they ate a lot with one another. <laughs> they spent a lot of time with each other. They enjoyed food with one another. They ate together, they were happy, and they enjoyed each other's presence and company. And lastly here, the fourth thing they devoted themselves to is prayer. Prayer. Uh, 85 times the verb to pray, of the 85, there are 85 times the verb to pray appears in the New Testament, and 34 of the times appears in Luke-Acts. And why is that important? Because Luke is communicating to us that the early church prayed, that it was an important part of their devotion, it was an, early, it was an important part of their spiritual life, and their community with one, one another. It was important for them as they prayed that they sought out God's direction. They, they sought out community. Their community wasn't dependent on just their own thoughts. It wasn't dependent on just what they, they were seeking themselves. They were dependent on God. That's what prayer is about, being dependent on God. So this community life, I summarized beautifully in this one verse of what church community looks like. And you maybe you're asking this question today. Does it have to be these four parts? Which goes to this next picture that I had for us. Does it have to be these four parts? Well, imagine this. You just tried this delicious upside-down golden syrup cheesecake. <laughs> Sorry if you're hungry. And you ask the question to the person who made it, how did you make it? What ingredients are in it? And the, and the chef just says, Simple, just four ingredients, which is what actually what this is made out of. Just four ingredients. 500 grams of cream cheese, three-quarter cup of thickened cream, one-half cup of golden syrup, half packet of chewy caramel Tim Tams. And there you have it. Through a few you know, steps, you have this upside-down golden uh, syrup cheesecake. Now, you can't be like, well, I don't want to use cheese, uh, cream cheese, I don't want to use the syrup. And you might also want to say, oh, I'm creative, and I want to substitute and be creative with, with this. And I want to swap this in and put this, uh, swap this out and put this in. The choice is yours. You can do whatever it is that you want, but no matter what, it won't be the same, right? No matter what, it won't be the same because those are the four ingredients. And it's really similar here with the early church. So there is a reason why God has said these four things are the key ingredients. The key ingredients for healthy community. Sure, God gives us variation, what fellowship looks like. He's not saying every single time you gather for table fellowship, it has to be Vietnamese food on Fraser Street, uh, or, or a certain cuisine, or white spot, or whatever it is. He's saying, no, the point is to gather. The point is for you to come together. The point is you need these four ingredients in order to be a healthy community. We need to fellowship. We need to receive instruction. We need to be taught. We need to be praying. We need to be with one another. And if we're not, which one of these, for us this morning, maybe we're struggling with one of them. And if, it, if we're struggling with one of, them, one of them or all of them, maybe that's a good point of reflection for us this morning. <clears throat> which one is it that God's calling us to move and to grow in? As F.F. Bruce, uh, in his commentary, which I've been referring to throughout this series, he says this, Luke's summary, uh, summaries present an ideal for the Christian community, which it stri- all must always strive for, constantly return to and discover anew. 
if it is to have the unity of the Spirit and purpose essential for an effective witness. So F.F. F. Bruce encourages us, and here in the book of Acts, Luke encourages us that we need to continually encourage to these four, encourage us to go back to these four ingredients, to be taught, to be in fellowship, to break bread with one another, and to pray. Four simple ingredients. And if you want a community that creates a beautiful fragrance to the world, an effective witness using Bruce's words, you need to practice this. You need to embrace this. We need to be made up of the right ingredients as a church. So in other words, if you're asking me this morning, Doug, just tell me what it is that I need to do. <laughs> tell me what it is that I need to be a part of. After receiving new life, after repenting, turning away from the ways of the world and turning our eyes back to God and being baptized, which all believers are encouraged to do, which, by the way, baptism is one of the simplest instructions and commands as a Christian. That is the simplest, the first step. And if we can't get baptized, don't worry about the other things because baptism is the first and most important step. First and simplest step, actually, as a confession of our faith. After repenting, again, baptized and receiving the Spirit, which was last week's sermon, and receiving this new life, you need to experience community life. You need to continually feed and nurture your, your soul your spirit. You need to be with one another. So what is it that we need to do if you are to do anything? It's to be engaged. It's to be engaged in your mind, to be under instruction, to read the word, to think it through well, and to comprehend and to, and to be with one another, ask the questions, but it's also to be engaged with one another, to be honest with each other, to cry out to each other, to share deeply our deepest pains and hurts and emotions to be engaged with prayer, to pray for and with one another. And we continue on in verse 43, as they were doing this, everyone was filled with awe, filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. Then in verse 44, all the believers were together and had everything in common. Still recovering a little bit, hold on. <coughs> Read, all the believers were together and had everything in common. Well, what does this mean, though? You're like, Doug, what does it mean? Like, all the believers, they were together and had everything in common. How is that possible? <coughs> all the believers, as we read here, they were together and had everything in common. But they're also, all believers, they sold their property and their possessions to give to anyone who had need. All believers met every day in the temple courts. In other words, they wanted to see each other. They wanted to see each other. Remember the writer of the Hebrew, uh, writer of Hebrews saying in Hebrews 3.13, encourage each other, what? Daily. Daily, as long as it is called today, so that none of you may be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. They wanted to see each other. They wanted to spend time together. That's what the believers did. They were together, had everything in common. They sold their property possess possessions to give to anyone who had need. They really cared about each other. And all these believers, they met every day in the temple courts. And nothing replaces time with one another. Nothing. Nothing replaces time with one another. It's true uh, in your dating relationship, in your friendships, in your family, and in your friends. Nothing replaces time with one another. They were seeing each other every single day. Imagine that. They were seeing each other every single day. Maybe 
they didn't actually see each other because they had some sick days and they had other things. They couldn't make it to the temple. I don't know. But their attitude and their intentionality were to see each other. They situated in it themselves, in other words. They situated themselves every day so that relationships and conversations could happen. They positioned themselves in that way. And this, this makes me think of anticipation. Whenever it is that they gathered, they just sat there and waited for people to show up. They were anticipating whoever it is to show up that day to have a good conversation, to pray with each other, to really care about each other's lives. And this was every day. As I read this, it sounded strange to me. I'm like, God, did they really meet every day? You know, is this one of those like literal things or like, you know, metaphorically you're speaking every day? And I can sense my heart hoping that it's metaphorically every day. But does this sound strange to you? Sounds strange to you in our current day and age, especially during COVID, where, where maybe we don't meet each other every single day, but in our current day, it might sound strange, right, to meet every single day, that they will go back to their homes and share life together. This, this sounds so odd. This sounds so strange to me. But to the first century Jewish believer, to the first century Christian that had received Jesus, that called himself Christ follower, called themselves a Christ follower, this was nothing but normal. That was strange. This was normal. Even though I think it's strange, this was normal for them. In fact, it was the opposite for them. It was strange not to meet every day. All believers, they they broke bread every single day in, in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all people. And this gladness and sincerity of the heart, it wasn't created. It wasn't like, I only show up to Pastor Howard's house because he has sushi tonight. Or he's showing a really good film. I'm going to hang out with him. Or we're going to have a board game night at church. And everything's going to be fun and exciting. That's the only time I'm going to show up. No, they were glad and sincere before they even came. They just were. They were glad and sincere no matter what it is that was going on. And that is odd as I read that. In our day and age, in our culture where there's so many bright lights and things that try, seem to attract us, that there was none of that in the early church. They were just glad and sincere. They were actually just glad and sincere to see each other, to be with one another. What this kind of paints a picture for us in 2022 is that these believers, they were all in. They were all in for the gospel. They were all in for the church. And they were all in for their community. And we get this idea here that an all-in attitude creates this caring community that we read of. An all-out attitude creates a caring community. And this, the verses we just read speaks to the quality of their mutual caring. That's what it's about. It's not about doing more things. I hope you're not hearing that. It's actually from their all-in kind of attitude. It speaks to the mutual caring and the mutual quality of the relationship that they had with one another. The early church was a caring community. That's what they were. They cared for one another. And some asked, and I've definitely had this question before, does Christianity promote this communalism, you know, that part about selling everything, right, and giving up everything for the needs of each other? What, how do we interpret that? How do we understand that? Like, are we called to still do that every day, to share everything that we have? And the concept might be hard for us to grasp. It's hard for me to grasp from an individual Western kind of point of view where, you know, everything is mine, is mine. Uh, I keep it to myself. 
I remember the story uh, that a pastor shared in Ghana uh, where he said to me, he told me the story that if you leave a bicycle out outside of your house, uh, it would never be considered stolen if it's gone. It's just borrowed. Uh, because this is kind of communal kind of uh, understanding that whatever is yours is also mine. We share everything. We, we give to one another. And you won't mind me borrowing your bike. It will be returned later this afternoon or next year <laughs> or sooner or later. But this communalism it's not required. That's really important of this community. It wasn't required. It was voluntary entirely. It was given it voluntary from who they were, from their, their sense of care for each other. It, was, it also wasn't this one-time thing. It was a continual kind of selling and giving. That's the idea that we have. The important thing here isn't so much of what was given, but why. But why it was given. It was out of this care, out of this all-out attitude. Being all out for the gospel, all out for each other is about saying, I don't want to see my brother or sister in Christ in need, so I'm going to do whatever I can to take care of them. And why were these community members so moved to sell what they own, both possessions and goods, and give the proceeds to those who were in need? Some argue it's because they thought Christ is coming soon. They're like, Christ is coming back next week, so I better get rid of all my things anyway. Uh, I don't think the text really uh, says that here, but uh, what we really gather here in this early church as we try to transform ourselves back then is that they were actually just motivated by the concern for the needs of each other. They just really cared for their community. They really cared for each other. They really loved one another. They wanted to be there for each other. At our leadership retreat last week, we, we talked quite a bit about how we don't treat people as projects or prospects because they can smell through that. We don't treat people as projects to be worked on or people as prospects to be recruited and to be fixed. We don't approach people with ulterior motives, making it seem like we really care about them, but really just want them to do X, Y, and Z. Uh, we don't approach people that way. We, we approach people as people, uh, people to be cared for, people to be loved, people to be known, people to be prayed with and to be prayed for. That These are people that we are called to be in relationship with. In the early church, they didn't care and talk to people just so God would add to their numbers daily. That's the very last part of the verse. That wasn't the reason why they did it. They cared and loved people because they simply loved them for being people, for being created in the image of God. Welcome. I get the privilege of being in conversation with you today. I get the privilege of being in the same space with you today. I get the privilege of gathering in the same church and worshiping God together today. That's something be joyful and to be sincere and to be, uh, to be glad for. And so it is with us. We are called to focus on people simply to care and to love them. Simply to care and to love them. I want to share this next slide with you, which is, I realize, really hard, impossible. If you have, I don't know, whatever vision, Hawkeye vision, uh, you the Barna Group, uh, which collects data and is a leading organization in terms of synthesizing data from North America, and they are leading in terms of research between the intersections of faith and culture. They gathered, they did this research last year, or over the last couple of years, and came out with a book last year about Gen Z, uh, specifically looking at Canada, and they came out with a book summarizing their findings in 2021 called Reviving Evangelism in the Next Generation. And as we read here, which you can't read, <laughs> uh, the question they're trying to answer in this one poll here is this. What does it look like to be comfortable in the act of talking about one's Christian faith 
in an era where skepticism is high and evangelism is unpopular. So what is the top characteristic that makes someone want to talk to a Christian about the Christian faith? And what's at the top? What did Gen Z answer? 67% of Gen Z polled said that they're comfortable sharing with someone who listens without judgment. Who listens without judgment. Why? Why listen without, uh, what does judgment show us? Well, when you judge someone, it really just shows that you really don't care about them. You just care about being right. You care about put it, getting your point across. You don't really show that you really care about them. And what the younger generations now, like Gen Z, want to know, and I think I want to argue our culture now in Vancouver and our city now in Vancouver, what we're asking isn't whether Jesus is true. We can argue and point and argue X, Y, and Z. They don't, people don't want to know whether Jesus is true, but whether Jesus is good. And by the way we live it out, it portrays whether Jesus is good or not. By the conversations we have, it reflects our understanding and people's understanding of whether Jesus is good or not. And people are assuming and associating us that if his people are acting in judgment and acting like this, then what does this mean about the God that they follow? The care that they showed in the early church, it wasn't an obligation, but it was a response. Jesus, is on his last words as he was ascending, he wasn't like, guys, care for each other. And then he goes off. <laughs> it was a response. It was a response from understanding the word, a response from having this relationship with Jesus. And I want to argue this, that it's not even about a calling to care. And why do I say that? I'm not diminishing people's gifts of caring or as caregivers, though we're definitely called to do that, because if you have that heart, keep going. Keep loving, keep caring, keep providing care for the people around you. But what I'm saying is this, is that we don't say, I feel called to care, because does that mean that there's some of us can, that can say, I'm not called to care? Right? If someone can say, I'm called to care, does that mean I can say, I'm not called to care? No, that doesn't make sense. Saying you feel called to care for people is like saying you feel called to love God as a Christian. No, like as a response from God, as a relationship with God, like we, we, we love God because that's our response to God. I don't feel called to love God because that's something to do. That's a response. That's a response from our relationship. We're all called to care for people. Just like how when we become Christian, we're all called to love God. That's part of who we are. That's part of what we're made out of. And the early church, they didn't separate people according to who is called to care and who isn't called to care. They understood we are the community that's, that's meant to live out and to show God's love. And it wasn't something they had to do, but something they wanted to do. And when the early church said that God cares about you, they didn't just say God cares about you, but they lived it out. They said God cares about you, and this is how I'm going to show that. My care for you is going to reflect that. It's going to demonstrate that. It's going to illustrate God's care for you and my understanding of God's love for me. So maybe what it really comes back down to is, have we experienced God's love? Do we understand God's love for us? Do we feel cared for and loved by God himself? The call today isn't for you to go do more. The call today is for you to embrace and accept and receive the call of God more into your life which comes out as response to loving the people around us. I've heard responses before that the church isn't a community center or a food bank or 
the YMCA or the Salvation Army, though Salvation Army is a church as well. But that's true. We're not. And not to bring down community centers and food banks, but as a church, as Christians, the church, as a people of God, we should be leading in all aspects of society to be the most caring, to be the most loving, to be the most generous, to be active in justice, to be active in the community, to seek out love and to love others. We ought to be that. And I believe that in the early church, as I go grab something, uh, that last week as we come and understand how the Spirit of God came into the church, that the Spirit set a flame into the church. He breathed afresh the flame of the Spirit into the church to give us new life, to give us breath, to give us energy and strength and power and hope and goodness and all the things that come from the Spirit. But I want to say that the care and the light that we received as Christians, it's really a chain reaction too, just like this candle. That though the Spirit came and lit a flame inside of us, that there needs to be something that's burning, right? There needs to be a wick. There needs to be uh, the wax. But also, it needs to have oxygen. And what happens when you cut off the oxygen from the flame? Well, the chain reaction says without oxygen, the flame will slowly die. The flame will slowly be suffocated. It will smother. This is what happens when we isolate ourselves from community. This is what happens as well when the church, as a church and as a community, we don't care for one another. The flames become smothered eventually. <laughs> it, stops, it stops burning and eventually it dies out because all the oxygen of the church is burned up and used up eventually. <laughs> but when we have new vision and when we have new breath, when we seek out people's needs and we pray for one another, we go under instruction, we teach each other, we pray, we go in fellowship, we break bread, and the flame is dying. I can attest <laughs> to that here. It's like taking the cover off again. And the flame burns back brighter. The flame comes back. And I have this vision for us as a church, as LLC, for those of us that call LLC home, I see us going forth from this place every week into the city where God ignites a passion for him and for his people that we don't just carry the gospel, but we live out the gospel wherever it goes. And these lights start burning around the city. I see a church where people don't just think about God as a good thought or a good idea, but we live as people needing God. I see a community where people don't hide from each other, but we're open and we're vulnerable. And every single time, it's like a fresh breath that comes to the flame, that burns brighter. I see a place where we speak truth and love into each other's lives and apply wisdom into our relationships, our friendships, our marriages, our lives, into our calling as, as a, a calling into our workplaces. I see a place for the hurting. I see a place where people are empowered and get, you, get, get to use their spiritual gifts, where their flame burns brightly. And every single time we do that, we're uncovering what's smothering the flame. And we might be overwhelmed by caring about the people. There's a lot of people in the world. I don't, I don't even know. It's over 7 billion now, I think, at least. 
let's just start with the people around us. The people right around us. Instead of thinking about how big a task it is, why not think about it as being intentional in the small things? Intentional in the small things. Because these small things will end up being big things for the people around you. Be intentional with the relationships around you because they're God-given. They're a gift. I don't take it for granted that you're here this morning and you're watching it online, that we get to be in this relationship with one another. Instead of going wide and thin with our relationships, why not narrow and deep? We're called into deep relationships in the church, into deep relationships. And no one else might say this to you, and maybe it sounds under-inspiring, but the pressure, you've been putting so much pressure on yourself, church. But be ordinary. Just be ordinary because it takes an extraordinary kind of person to live out the everyday ordinary things. Things where that no one claps for it and no one realizes the little highs and messages here and there. Those little things that build up community that no one else notices, take those ordinary things seriously and be extraordinary in them and love each other well. In Diedrich Bonhoeffer, which we've been quoting a lot lately, lately from Life Together, our department uh, head Aaron shared from this book and Sam Chan passed on a book, uh, this book for me um, uh, earlier uh, this month. And I haven't read it in a while, but this quote caught my attention this week, that the person who loves their dream of community will destroy community, but the person who loves those around them will create community. It's not about us going towards what we think is best. It's our call is just to love each other. And God will move us in that direction. Why? Because what you consider to be ordinary, again, might be that extraordinary act for that person. They just needed to hear that hi. They needed to hear the hello, hello. They needed that email, that text message. They needed that meal, that coffee together. They needed that Zoom call. They needed just to know that you were there and that someone was thinking about them. I wish I had an extraordinary story, but I think it's fitting to end this sermon this morning with an ordinary story. Uh, this week I was hungry, which many of you were, and you're like, wow, that's surprising. Uh, but I was at church and I didn't bring a lunch, and I'm like, oh man, I don't want to go out and buy something. I didn't have any cash uh, to go to the restaurant I wanted to go to. What I'm going to do, and Reverend Lai, our Cantonese ministry pastor, comes back from his lunch meeting, and he's holding this plastic bag because I don't know, uh, you've got to pay for bags now, and that's the best that they got. It was a plastic bag that you put, like, raw fish in, you know, one of those <laughs> kind of uh, bags. And he was holding, he came in, and I was like, he's like, Reverend Doug, he's like, are you hungry? I'm like, yes, yes, I am. He's like, I have a, a lotus leaf wrapped sticky rice right here uh, that's fresh. Would you want it? And I'm like, the bag looks, un, un, you know, unassuming, but I'm really hungry. And he's like, here, here you go. I, I saved this for you. This is for you. And he gave it in my office, and I just sat there enjoying the best lotus leaf wrapped sticky rice. I have no idea what that is. Look it up, Google it. And I opened it up. The aroma filled my office, and I enjoyed the simple sticky rice in my office. You don't know how the ordinary acts do extraordinary things for you and for the people around you. So church this week, we're called to care. We're called to love. We care to be part of the wonder that God is doing here and the flame that he's continually lighting in our church that every single week whenever you have these conversations it is doing something because god is active and alive in you let's pray father we thank you for this morning we thank you for the goodness of your word and i pray god for all of us as a church today that you would light the flame in us again 
that you would create in us a passion for your name, Lord, that as a church we would care extravagantly for each other in the ordinary things, that we will reach out to one another, that we will love one another, that we will care for each other, not because something we have to do, but as a response to your love for us. So Lord, this week, may we embrace your love. May we know your love. May we experience your goodness this week. And in turn, God, may Lord's love be a place where all can receive your love and be a sanctuary of peace, hope, joy, and goodness as we experience the Lord together. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.